Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find over 400 separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I will now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lucy. Hi, everyone. I'm Lucy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Lucy. Um, I just want to congratulate, uh, first of all, the newcomers. There's a lot of you. Today I tried to memorize your names, but I'm afraid to leave somebody out, so I'm not going to say them. And also for all the chip takers and all the people who celebrated their birthday. Um, to get through the preliminaries, I came in in around February 2006. I became abstinent January 28, 2008. My abstinence is breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack, and I am down about one to two sizes. I'm 5'7". I'm 58 years old. I'm a normal body weight now. I have no idea how much I weigh. I don't weigh myself. At this size, I've been 125 pounds, and I've been 164 pounds, but I stopped weighing myself at that time. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about why it's so deeply moving to speak here. Um, It talks in the big book about how we're two different people. And I came in this program with everything. I had a beautiful car. I had two gorgeous dogs. I had a gorgeous husband who I thought was gorgeous most of the time. I had everything anybody would ever want. And I remember sitting on this cashmere, like, sweater thing on on my couch and thinking, why do I feel so bad? I was running out of therapists to go to. I was running out of meditation centers to go to. I was... Couldn't tell my sister what was going on. She and I are really close. And it's really um, challenging to be honest and vulnerable and to be, and to be open. And I was not willing to do that until I came in here. And it's, it's, it can be still a struggle for me. Um, when I started out, everything looked absolutely perfect. My parents are gorgeous. They're really well educated they're really nice they're really funny you definitely want to come to our house for dinner the food's really good there's a lot of wine <laughs> of course that means a lot of the people there are alcoholics and compulsive readers the food just looks a little better but nonetheless that's what's going on um, and they were kind of perfect you know they were like a family you might see in a cruise magazine you know where the dad is like gray hair and my mom is like looks like Donna Reed's all perky and then they have these you know two beautiful children and that was I was one of them and the thing about my parents is they were a lot more interested in each other than they were possibly in their children but not for a moment seriously do I blame my parents not for one moment not it's too late now as my sponsor says to me there is zero percent chance they will change Um, they're 81 and 86 and I'm blessed to have them in my life and you know my brother's not a compulsive overeater and my sister's not a compulsive overeater I am so when I read the doctor's opinion, and my group of OA sisters and I are, are reading it this month, um, I learned from the doctor's opinion that I am um, kind of morally and physically different from my fellows. And I also want to thank Atusa for asking me to speak. I love her very, very much. And when she asked me two days ago, I was skiing, and I was really scared because I was skiing alone on this mountain. And she asked me to speak, and I was instantly so frightened of speaking that I completely lost my fear of skiing and had a fantastic time. (laughs) Anyway, so my parents, um, my father decided to get away from his very domineering mother, whose name is Lucy, and, um, and, and we lived in San Francisco, and he decided he would move away. And so 
we moved to Southeast Asia, and um, and so I was raised in Southeast Asia, and um, then the loneliness started to really kick in. And what I did is I read all the time. I had I was the only white kid in my grade. Uh, there was maybe 250 kids in my grade. I it was dangerous. I had very severe childhood illnesses. I'd be in bed for six to eight months, excuse me, weeks at a time, reading my books. And the books I would read were books um, like from Penguin, from British Commonwealth Country, and they would talk about high tea. And I would read pages of descriptions of scones and cakes, and on and on and on. And I actually almost missed my first communion because you're not supposed to eat in the old days until three hours before, and I got so hungry from reading these books. I was, like, eating, and my mother wasn't Catholic, so she didn't know. But I, and that's how I lived. I lived completely in my head. I had no friends nearby, and my parents, bless their hearts, loved us when we were achieving things. So they, they loved the fact that I could read really fast, really young. Well, I had nothing better to do. And so he would give me, like, Time magazine to read when I was seven. So I was sort of like this performing monkey in a way and I could speak you know different languages and but it didn't handle this appalling loneliness just appalling and then I became a ballerina and as I heard somebody said once that's just like a hotbed like a swamp for for eating disorders as as some other you know performing professions are as well and it was like the song from um oh that musical I think it is you know everything is beautiful at the ballet and I could feel beautiful at the ballet, and, and I could feel really successful, and I could feel like people loved me. And then I came back to the United States, but essentially now I had complete culture shock again. And, and I knew I was dressed weird, and I, I didn't know how to dress right. I would wear, like, really long, like, Bermuda shorts, like the kind with plaid on them, the kind you should only wear if you're in Bermuda, you know. And, I mean, I just looked really weird, and I didn't know any of the right TV shows, and I didn't know how to be around boys, and I didn't know anything and I had lost like a third of my body weight from dysentery from the place I mean my parents I don't know what to say I, I, <laughs> we weren't exactly staying at five star hotels I stayed at the Salvation Army Hostel in Calcutta my mother barricaded the door in France we stayed at a, a brothel and this is not like it was not like Roulet and Chateau or the Four Seasons my, my favorite one was my father decided it's really unbelievable he decided we were going to go to Afghanistan by bus and so (laughs) (laughs) you know people sometimes ask me what I think of Burma I was like Burma huh they only had orange soda and rice there Uh, you know because I thought of the foods of course so so we go to Afghanistan by bus but in, in order to get to Afghanistan you have to sort of walk over the Pakistani border On the maps, that's where the Taliban is, just so you know. When you see the maps, where it is. And my husband said to me, can you believe you're right there? I go, yeah, I can. Um, So we're taking the bus up the Khyber Pass. And um, in case you don't know, the Khyber Pass is very steep. So when you look down, it's like thousands of feet straight down, and there's all these chickens and people with guns on the roof and so we go stay at this hotel and my parents I have dysentery again and my parents um, leave me alone in the hotel because my mother wants to go out to dinner 
I don't know where you got to dinner couple anyway, but my mother wants to go to dinner, so she leaves me babysitting my six-year-old brother in the hotel with the bathroom down the hall. Now, that, that's, I said that to my mother recently. She said, what were you thinking? She said, I just felt like I needed a night off. You know, and, and honestly, honestly, I didn't really understand that. I mean, she, she was honest. She wanted a night off. So that's kind of the way it was growing up. We were kind of left on our own. Like, I would get severely bitten by a dog. I mean, like, ripped open. And mom said, my mom would say, oh, she'll be fine. You know, Can't she walk? And the neighbors would be like, uh, no. And, but, you know, I... I would walk back up the hill or eventually she'd come get me or something. And Anyway, so so I get back to the U.S. and fortunately my next door neighbor runs the best bakery here and, and I try to become normal. I, I try really hard to be normal and I try really hard to fit in. You know, and I... I don't know anything. You know, the other kids are talking about they went to Lake Tahoe for summer vacation. I'm like, where was I summer? Oh, Tunisia. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't. All I knew how to do was read and eat. That's it. I knew how to read and I knew how to eat. And I would get out eight books from the library and I would read these eight books and then I would eat. And it was a really big deal in my family if you were a great chef. Oh, and my favorite book, I had a Betty Crocker cookie cookbook. And it was like my Bible, and I still have it. And I don't cook out of it anymore. But it was almost like these things were my little security blankets. You know, I had these little things that I could hang on to because my my fundamental feeling is there is something terribly wrong with me. Terribly wrong. And, And the fact that I perceived that I had was the evidence of it. You know, I knew inside there was something wrong with me, but the fat part, that let you know that I was profoundly defective. Profoundly. And it's one of the reasons why I see people now who are, you know, morbidly obese. I really want to go, I don't, but I really want to go up to them and say, you know, I, I can help you. I can relieve your pain. Like, I'm God. I can't, right? But I just want to say, I wish, I wish, you know, you knew about this program. They, they might, I don't know, but... Because I know the isolation and the pain and, and, you know, being the funny girl in the class and being the performer and being the entertainer and just feeling like I could not have you see me. I could not have you know who I truly am. And what happened to me is I grew up in a lot of uh, very strict religious schools. And um, unfortunately, my interpretation of this religion was that God was perfect and I wasn't and therefore he hated me and God was a little bit like my dad he was a raging narcissist and you had to give him a lot of it or like a really bad boyfriend so you had to give him a lot of money and sort of pay him off and say well you know if you save me from this burning plane I'm going to be really nice to you and I'll go to church like seven times a day and and so God was all about judging meanness you're wrong it wasn't about what the big book tells me which is superhuman strength which is being rocketed into the next dimension. And, you know, for those of you who are new, and many of you are, um, you can ignore all of this part because when I first came in, the notion of faith, I mean, I still totally borrow faith. I borrow it from my sponsor. I borrow it from my text from fellows. I borrow it from the women that I love and care about who call me. I borrow their faith. I don't always have enough to, to get by. And sometimes the only thing I can do is just get down on my knees wherever I am. And sometimes it's the shower, and sometimes it's, my kitchen floor and sometimes it's the floor in a bathroom in a ski resort because I just behaved really badly which just happened I mean I, I just, just sometimes that's all that I can do um, 
So then I hit teenage years and I was still dancing and I was about 145 pounds and the teachers were like, you could be a really great dancer if you're thin. In the meantime, I was progressing up the level of the, of the ballet dancers. I have to check my time. And it was a very serious ballet company and they had, you know, the performance of the Nutcracker. My best friend was Clara, the lead. And they said, Lucy, you can't be in it because you can't fit in the costumes. And all my buddies were in it. And, and I kept thinking, you know, there are rats in the Nutcracker. Why can't I be a rat? You know, I could be something. And, um, but I was the only one left in the class that was really, quite frankly, gifted because all the really good girls were shipped off to perform. And, and they kept telling me I was just too big. And so in eighth grade, I lost 20 pounds. And I was walking down the aisle, and I saw myself in the mirror. And I was like, oh, my God, I still have hips. Like, oh, my God. Well, that's what I have. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I still have two arms and a head. I mean, that's what I have. You know, I'm, they're not going to, unless I shave one off, they're not going <laughs> to, it's going to be there. I mean, what can I do? So, and I just became so demoralized. Like, when is it enough? When is it enough? And that's how I felt with my parents. Like, okay, I got straight A's, but I got a, one A minus. All right, when is it enough? And that's what I felt like with God, too. Like, okay, so I had one venial sin. When is it enough? I mean, I just felt like that everywhere. Like, I just could not, could not be enough. I feel like I'm whining here. But anyway, that's why, that's um, the way I felt. And so I would conquer this problem. My, my parents would have this old bread drawer, and I would stand above the bread drawer, and I'd open it up because my mother has a lot of food issues. There would be a lot of food in it. And I would sit there, and I would go through an entire box of animal crackers that were had frosting on them. And first it was the white ones were the best, then it was the pink ones were the best. Then it was the sprinkles were better, but if there's more sprinkles, it was better, but there's less sprinkles, but there was the oatmeal cookies. And what did I put on the oatmeal cookie? Maybe if I had a jam to the oatmeal cookie, but then I froze the oatmeal cookie. So this would go on and on and on with no end. And this would continue when I went into boarding school. If you want to talk about an eating disorder, go to boarding school, because there's no boys. No boys. So our biggest entertainment was we'd go to Denny's and we would have like chili cheeseburgers and cheese fries. And that was what we did. And all the girls around me were, were doing that, you know. And then we would go on these insane diets. So I had one summer, I had a super hot crush on this guy. He happened to be somebody else's girl, girl, boyfriend, but no problem. I had a super hot crush on him. And so I was working Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I decided if I was working Kentucky Fried Chicken, I could not have any of the food there because... It would be off to the races. And so what I did that summer was smoke a lot of cigarettes, drink Perrier, put cottage cheese in my mouth, and then spit it out and drink. Yeah, I forgot. Drink like cheap white wine. And that was my diet. So again, I lost that was restricting. Again, I lost about 20 pounds. I was 17 at this time. Again, it wasn't enough. So at the end of the summer, I, of course, by that amount of restriction, had to binge. And I heard... I don't know where I heard it, like one of that old-fashioned column like hints from Hillowes or something, that if you got poisoned, you could make yourself vomit by consuming mustard with water. So I took my mom's like mustard powder and I mixed it up and it didn't work. All that happened was like I smelled like a hot dog. It didn't work at all. So, <laughs> so I would binge and do that. And that I pretty much did for 20 years. And I tried every diet. I went to a nutritionist and he would like measure the fat under my arm and he would say you have a 33% fat and that's clinically overweight and you're morbidly obese and I would go to shrinks and they'd say why don't you just have one piece of cheese for lunch and but I, I would just keep looking at people and thinking how can they like it's such a huge mystery like how can they have like one bite of a donut like you bit the donut and you put it down and I 
I didn't. I, I, but I also, here's what else I didn't know. I didn't know that when people ate together that they spoke to each other. Like, I didn't know that, you know, you were, you were just really in my way. You were just in, in my way. And I shared this before, and it was sort of a joke, but it's true. My husband once said to me, how was the wedding? And I said, there wasn't enough shrimp. You know, and that, that and I was appalled by that. It, it was, you know, like in the part of the wedding ceremony where they say, raise your hand if anybody has anything that's Like, I would have said, there's not enough effing shrimp, you know, and order it, okay? Or I'll go out and get it. So that's the way I was with the food, and the food organized my life. And to a certain extent, it still does. I still sort of, and I have to give that over to a higher power as, as I see it. Um, so I went through all these years trying to conceal my fat, and being told that I, you know, I was a performer. Well, you, you know, you'd be so pretty if you're, you're a little hippie, pleasantly plump. You know, all these sort of things that one, one says. Or my mother would say, well, you're falling down a lot because you're a little overweight. You know, and, and, and I would say that to my therapist. My therapist was like, I am like severely underweight. I fall over. I don't know. Like. But again, I just kept thinking, if I could just fix this problem, I would go meditate with blah, blah, blah. And then I would go to hypnotist, and I would repeat, I love green tea. And, and, you know, just strange, like, incantations. And I would go to this Turkish healer, and he would say, I don't know why. It was something like three Hail Marys or something. And I, I don't know what it was. And then I would go on the pineapple diet. And then I went on this diet where you, you know, I don't know. Oh, I went to this one place where it was like before there was really gyms and they just had these belts and they just sort of jiggle your fat and then, and then, and then they measure you and, and, and the ladies were like, see, it works, she's losing weight. You know, and, and anyway, so that's what I did. And finally what happened was, um, God, I have to get a recovery, sorry. Finally what happened was, um, was, a woman I know said, who's actually in these rooms now, and she said, um, you know, I know the therapist, and she specializes in food issues. Well, she had 25 years of abstinence in OA. Why don't you go see her? Sorry, drinking water. So I go see her, and um, she says, you got to go to OA. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've tried 12 this program. Love them. Great. When it's convenient, I'll go. you got to go. you got to go. It's not convenient. not convenient. So I have a really bad binge. What I do when I binge, me in particular, is I will drink and eat. Not just eat. I will eat and drink, and then I will shop. And when I say shop, I say I'm not kidding. The 11 boxes will show up in three days, and I have no idea where they came from. I mean, I'm hardcore. And then after that, I might stalk my ex-boyfriends on the Internet and try to find out their net worth. <laughs> and, and just so you know what X means, I've been with my husband 24 years. So, so Anyway, so I had one of those evenings. And I'm at the beach, and I feel disgusting, and I feel like everybody at the beach is happy, and my stomach's hanging over my legs, and I have nobody to call, and I can't tell anybody, and as I said before, I can't tell my sister because she doesn't do this. And people who don't do this, what she said to me was just stop. I can't stop. So this one says to me, well, you're isolated, and I never understood what that word meant because there was always people around me but I was isolated in my disease and so I went through two years of doing whatever I wanted I didn't have a sponsor I showed up late I showed up drunk I left early I did whatever the F I wanted to do and what happened was I went to Paris 
and I was supposed to have this beautiful vacation in Paris. I ended up binging in Paris, having a horrible time. Of course, it never occurred to me there's lots of wonderful meetings in Paris, and you can call your sponsor daily, and you can take your work with you. I came back. My dog I was um, diagnosed as terminally ill, and um, my sponsor fired me. So that was my bottom, and um, I called somebody who called somebody else, and I called her, and she was home. I don't think she's ever been home at that time before or since, and she's been my sponsor ever since. I became abstinent January 27th of 2008, and on January 28th, my dog died. So I was able to be with her when she was dying, totally present, fully committed, fully with her, telling her I loved her, with her 100%. And... Um, I want to talk a little bit about the promises of the program. I had no desire to be a part of this program. I thought I was richer, cooler, smarter, and better looking than you. I thought, I thought everybody here was obviously had no other place to be on a Saturday night. But here's what I didn't know. What I did not know is you would love me till I could love myself. I did not know that. That is worth everything I ever did to get in here. All 52 years of suffering, that's worth. So if you're new... And you think you should leave, or you think we're cuckoo, fine. Go ahead and think we're cuckoo. That's totally fine. But the way I feel about myself now, and by, by no means do I mean that I'm walking around going, I am such hot shit. I do not do that. Wish I did, but I don't. I mean, I don't do that. But I know there's people in these rooms that love me. I know that. And I never, ever, ever would have known that before. There's no way I could have experienced it. And I experienced it by watching you guys and looking at you. And that's how I experienced faith. Because when I'm in bad shape, like I just was in Park City, because I'm screaming and yelling at people and behaving badly, people text me. And they say I'm okay. And I know I can write. And I can write about it. And seriously, the promises, unbelievable. Not only forgiving my parents, and they weren't that big of a criminal anyway. They were just slightly eccentric. But I have a life beyond my wildest dreams, beyond the dreams I even knew I had. I mean, my career now, I couldn't have dreamt five years ago. I, I, I look, you know, if somebody told me, I would have said, well, I don't know how I would have done that. Well, I learned to ask for help in these rooms. I learned to ask for help. I learned to get on my knees. I learned to be humble. I learned every morning you get up, you hit your knees, you say a prayer. If you do something terrible, I just dinged my husband's surfboard. Now, for those of you who don't surf, let's just say I ran over his mother, okay? I, <laughs> I opened the garage door and squished a made-to-order surfboard. And it was bad. And I just did that. Okay, I just did it at 4 o'clock. And, and here's what I did. I said, I feel terrible. I'm so sorry. I, I, I just kept the... And he, you know, he went on about it. And finally I said, well, I did say I'm sorry three times, but I let him be upset. I know now... I, can, I, I looked at my dogs today and I thought, I can't believe this. I'm actually looking at my dogs. I'm actually present. I'm actually present in this moment with you and with my dogs. That's... Not possible. Now, do I have times where I don't give a shit about you and all I want to do is eat? Absolutely. Do I have times where I go for the ice cream and pick up a bottle of wine or the whole thing? Yeah, I do. Those are, and I, Oh, and my snacks do, so I wait till 12.01 for my snack because it's the next day and that's how I rationalize the snack. Hello. I mean, that's really not very good eating. But, but the truth is I'm no longer defined by my body. I don't look in the mirror and think, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And you know what? No, I don't even look in the mirror. I went back to dancing. I just don't look in the mirror. I just don't look at it. And, I mean, I've learned so much about myself, and a lot of it's not good. 
you know, a lot of it is how I could be a better mother and a better daughter and a better sponsee and a better sponsor. And, you know, I just learned I was sort of a jerk. And I learned it from one of my OA sisters. She said, if you meet two assholes in one day, you're probably the third one. And, and I had met two assholes in one day, and I was the third. And so I need to write about it and find out why I'm over-entitled in this area and why I think that I should be allowed in late and why I think the rules don't apply to me. And it's because I felt I needed to be important. And what I wrote about was as important to you guys. And how I know this is because you're really important to me, really important. So I just want to say, if you're new, please stay, even if you think you're whacked, or we're whacked, or whoever is. And, um, and for everybody else, just keep coming back. And thanks so much for asking me to lead. Yes, my daily spiritual prayer and meditation practice. I roll literally out of bed onto my knees. I never get up. I get on my knees. I say the serenity prayer while, while I'm making my bed because one of the things I never had was consistency. So I say the serenity prayer. Um, I, if, I need, if I'm running out of time, I will actually read a daily reading while I'm brushing my teeth. I do a daily gratitude list. If I'm feeling particularly messed up, I will do a full tenth step. Um, God, I have fears. I will list them. God, I have resentments. I will list them, and then I will, um, quite, can't quite remember what it is now, but I will ask God, God, please remove all these fears and resentments. Please remove them now. I pray only for knowledge of your will for me and the power to carry it out. I then go into a three-minute meditation. I either use the 11th step where it talks about being a channel for St. Francis or my sponsor I went to a meditation workshop with her and she talks about um, feeling white light coming into your head then down through your body out through your heels and feeling the light expand out into kind of a love bubble when I'm messed up in my brain like if I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about how much I hate me or hate you I will say the serenity prayer on a continuous loop or the third step prayer so that I don't have to listen to myself. I try to meditate anytime I have a little bit of free time, like if I get somewhere early. I'll try to say the serenity prayer if I'm having a difficult conversation. Um, I'll try to get down on my knees, you know, sort of look like I'm getting something in my purse and get down on my knees. So I'd say that's it. Oh, and I do seek outside help from rabbis, from other spiritual books. I do that a lot, which is what the big book tells us to do as well. My daily eating plan is I eat three times a day with one optional snack. Um, that was something actually I didn't talk about, and thank you for asking. Um, I came back from India two months ago with pretty severe intestinal disorder. As you heard my story, it's been going on a long time. And the doctor has taken me off all gluten, all dairy, all goat, all sheep, all eggs. Okay, so here's what it is. Meat, potatoes, rice. Of course, I think sweet potato fried. Meat, potato, rice, and um, fish. So that's what I stick to. I had always known that those things were problematic for me, but I had to reach a bottom where I ended up in the ER and I was sick for one month before I was willing to give that step up. I, I'm that kind of low-bottom person. You can't just say, you know, don't eat cheese. I'll be like, fuck you. I'm eating the cheese. You know? So I, I'm sorry I let an F-bomb slip out. But anyway, anyway, so that's what I will do. So that's, that's I don't eat those things. Um, and I try, you know, the other day I had a half a bag of Fritos as a snack because that was the only thing I could eat when I was skiing. And unfortunately, Atusa called. I was like, hi, I'm just eating the Fritos and checking the label. <laughs> and, but because she called, I could eat just like half a bag. Um, 
but so that's my eating plan um, and I try to avoid the foods that make me wake up in the night and want to get them out frozen that would be a lot of sugary foods the foods that I remember the cake I ate in 2004 I try to not eat those foods yeah the question was am I when I say my name do I say Lucy like I love Lucy yes I do because I love I love Lucy and also then it's really easy for people to remember so yes I am that person <laughs> nor have I ever gotten that question before <laughs> uh, how my relationship with my parents has changed I pray for them I try to be sympathetic I try to be compassionate I try not to expect them to change I try to get my needs met from my fellows instead of my parents I try to appreciate them for what they have given me I try to tell them what they have given me you know my father said to me that oh, they weren't really that great parents and left you alone at the Taj Mahal and I just laugh you know it's kind of true but I mean I just laugh and I, I I try to let them off the hook as, as much as, as I can and I also try not to spend too much time with them you know I don't you know I don't want to have three dinners with them or three meals with them in a row there's a lot of addiction in my family it's hard for me to be around so I'll say hey I'm walking the dog or I'm going to see my girlfriend Maria she lives down the street or I'll say to my brother you better come over right now you know and, and um, or I'll text or sometimes what I'll do is I'll go up to my room and just read a piece of spiritual literature or do a little writing, I think.